0: Open your Bible, please, to the book of Mark. We started about a year ago in June, working our way, verse by verse, paragraph at a time, through the Gospel of Mark, and I've learned a lot. I hope it has been a blessing to those of you who have been here for it. Last time we were in the Gospel of Mark, we studied the cursing of the fig tree and the condemning of the temple. That's what we did last time. And I'll, by way of review, I'm going to read that section But our main focus for our study today will begin in verse 20. Hopefully you've had a chance to find that. If you have, please stand with me. I'm going to read our passage. This is Mark chapter 11, and I'm going to begin reading with verse 12. Now the next day, when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry, speaking of Jesus. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, Let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. So they came to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. And he taught, saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him, because all the people were astonished at his teaching. And when evening had come, he went out of the city. Now in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up From the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those believes that those things he says will come to pass, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. That your father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Let's pray together, please. Our Father, we know that your word is good. It is alive. It is powerful. And through it, you are speaking to us today. So I ask, Lord, that you would give us understanding. That you would give us ears to hear from you. Lord, we know that your word is profitable. That it will rebuke us where we need it. That it will correct us. That it will instruct us. And we ask for that this morning. That your Holy, Tear, your Holy Spirit would teach us. Father, may your Holy Spirit empower me to teach your word accurately and clearly this morning. Change us to be more like Jesus. Through this time together, we pray. In his name, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. Any of you who know me well know that I have some short-term memory issues. And it is a joke in our family that you cannot give me more than three things to get at the grocery store. If we go over three, I must write it down or I need a text. That's just the law of our family, okay? I am gonna ask you all, to remember three words this morning. How many of you think you can go out of here and through today and maybe through the week remember three words? How many of you think you can do that? All right, I'm going to ask you to try. Here are the three words. Here are the three words that are related to this passage. Believe, pray, forgive. Say those out loud with me, please. Believe, pray, give. Believe, pray, forgive. Those are related to our main points. The main points that I want you to understand and hopefully remember today are, number one, believe in God. We'll see that in verses 22 and 23. Number two, pray to God, verse 24. And number three, forgive anyone for anything, verses 25 and 26. We'll come back to those points as we work through our passage. Now, understand that where we are picking it up today in verse 20. This act as the sequel. This is the rest of the story that we read back in verses 12 and 14 when Jesus cursed the fig tree, when he said, let no one ever eat fruit on you again. Let there be no fruit on you. And in verse 20 we read, now in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. We don't know exactly what happened here, but it seems like there was a blight that had already affected the roots and it was now affecting the rest of the tree. And it did so very quickly. It did so overnight. It may be that it was there before, but Jesus had cursed the fig tree. He said, well, it doesn't sound quite like a curse. If you read back, he says, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. But Peter interpreted it as a curse. That's what he said in the next verse. Now, is there any significance here to the fact that it dried up from the roots? Maybe. I don't want to overstep this. But we can't see the roots of a plant or a tree, right? We can see the fruit. We can see the leaves. We can see the branches. We can see the trunk. We cannot see the roots. And to apply this principle, if the roots are the spiritual part of us that nobody sees, what's really going on in your heart? What's really happening beneath the surface? We we can talk right, act right, dress right. But what's going on in our hearts? Because isn't that what we were talking about last time? Jesus came up to the tree and found nothing but leaves. There was no fruit on it. And we said that is symbolic of Israel and the temple specifically. There's a parallel. We're going to talk some more about again today. The parallel between the fig tree and the temple. But what's going on below the surface in your life? Is there communion with God? Is there a right relationship with him? Or is it all outward? I think that's an important question for us to ask ourselves. So verse 21, Peter, most often the person to speak up, Peter, remembering, said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. He was probably surprised that it happened so quickly and that it seems so much more severe than what Jesus had said just that there's never going to be any fruit on you. No, the tree is withering, it's dying, it's it's not going to be there any longer. Again, what does that represent? The cursing of the fig tree represents the judgment of God on Israel and even on the temple. Before we study what Jesus taught his disciples, because he's going to make a lesson out of this. He's going to teach his disciples about prayer and so on. Before we do that, I'd like to review and expand just a little of what we talked about last time. What was going on with the temple? So by way of review, Mark, as he often does, has created a sandwich approach. We have a little bit about the fig tree, a little bit about the temple, more about the fig tree. So these are connected. He's doing it on purpose. It's a literary device. He wants us to figure out what he's saying is similar between the fig tree and the and the temple the story is commonly called the cleansing of the temple that might be the heading that's in your bible but others have rightly called this a condemnation of the temple why first the temple was like the fig tree and that there was an outward show of religiosity but no relationship with god Everyone there was just going through the motions and we looked at that verse from Isaiah that this people honors me with their lips but their heart is far from me. That's what was happening in the temple. What did Jesus say the temple was supposed to be? It was supposed to be a house of prayer for all people, for all nations. And what had they made it into? A den of thieves, a robber's den. They were interested in making money off the people who were coming there to worship. And what's more, they were doing it in a way that the other nations could not even come in and pray. They couldn't get to the space that was designated for the Gentiles because that's where we have an outdoor flea market, a bazaar going on. And he said, this is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. You've made it into a den of thieves. So it was all outward. What what was supposed to be the center of worship, and that's what they would have called it, they considered the temple their center of worship. That everything, the salvation is of the Jews. God has chosen us to be his special people and God has chosen this temple for his name to be, for his, for his name to dwell. But they had made it into a circus. They had made a sham of all these things. But there's something else going on. The purpose of the temple by this point had already been accomplished. What was the temple all about? People came to pray. Yes, we talked about that last time. And people came to offer sacrifices. There were daily sacrifices, twice a day. There was the once a year, the Day of Atonement, special sacrifices, other high days, holy days. So animals were being sacrificed, were being butchered, were being roasted on a regular basis. Why? Because God had instructed people, read Leviticus, you can read all about it, in various circumstances, if they were unclean, they needed to do this. If they had sinned, they needed to do this. So there was the trespass offering and the sin offering, and so on and so forth. It was a place of sacrifice. But where are we in time once we get to here in Mark? We are in what is commonly called the Passion Week. Specifically, we are on Tuesday of the Passion Week in our section today what is going to happen by the end of that week? The one who is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the ultimate Passover Lamb, is in the temple. And the temple was designed to point to him. It is a type of Christ. It is symbolic of the ultimate sacrifice for sin. Who is that? Jesus. When was it going to happen? Later that week. What's going to happen in conjunction with that? Tearing the temple, the veil in the temple. And we'll get to that when we get to... I think it's chapter 15 of Mark. Because what was the temple all about? This is the way God has provided for me to come and have access to him. The priests are going to make the sacrifice for me and I'm going to be forgiven based on faith in God and obedience to what he's told me to do. He is going to count me righteous. He's going to forgive me of my sin. But all that is about to change. All of that is about to change because the one sacrifice that all those other sacrifices pointed to is about to be made later in the week. And Jesus would be crucified, executed, die in your place and my place and the people who were there listening to him and watching him at this point. And the temple would be torn and access to God would be through Jesus. The better sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice. And When we have access to God, remember, what did they come to do? It is a house of prayer. When we come to pray to God, how do we come? Through Jesus. And what's more, as you continue reading your Bible, the New Testament, you get to Corinthians and you read, what's the temple now? If you know Jesus, the Holy Spirit's dwelling in you, you are the temple and I am the temple. Believers are the temple. And when we get to Revelation, we read about the new Jerusalem. In Revelation 21. Is there a temple there? There's no need for a temple, according to Revelation 21. Why? Because God and the Lamb are the temple. What is the temple? The temple is the representation of God dwelling with his people. This is how the people came to God. I bring my sacrifice. I worship. I pray. Well, with the Holy Spirit in us, we can do that anywhere. And someday we will have perfect fellowship with him in heaven forever if we have believed on Jesus. All right, all that was review and expanding what we didn't get to last time. Getting into this first point for today, believe in God. That's what verse 22 tells us. Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. What was he answering in response to? Rabbi, look, the fig tree withered. And what does he say? He's not talking about the fig tree, is he? His response is, have faith in God. And he's going to teach them about belief, prayer, and forgiveness. So have faith in God. Someone paraphrased that as constantly be trusting God. Live in an attitude of dependence on him. What's he teaching them? He's teaching them that this miracle of the fig tree withering up so quickly is actually the result of of a prayer of faith by Jesus himself. And that he's encouraging his disciples to do likewise. So what is the first step of prayer? The first step of prayer is faith in God. That's similar to what the writer of Hebrews put in chapter 11. Without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. What is the first step? What is the first thing that has to be a part of any prayer? Faith in God. The object of our faith matters. Verse 23. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Now, the first word I'd like you to notice there is whoever says. To this mountain. You say, that's not an important word, it's only four letters. We don't have any record of Jesus ever talking to a mountain in the Bible. And we have only this one account of him talking to a tree when he cursed the fig tree. So I don't believe that this is an instruction for us to go out and talk to trees. I don't think this is an instruction for us to go talk to mountains. Because Jesus' purpose is not, let's move all the mountains around. Let's change the topography of the earth. That is not the purpose here. So what is the purpose? The purpose is that as they have faith in God, they need to voice their requests to God. Because if you look back at verse 14, it says, and his disciples heard it. Jesus could have thought the cursing of the fig tree. Nothing wrong with that. We can pray in our hearts. We don't have to pray out loud. You know that. But if we are praying so that others can hear us, or if we are sharing what we have prayed so that others know what we're praying for, that's kind of taking it to a different level. Let me see if I can illustrate this. I do have a couple of personal illustrations a day, and you all, I trust, understand. I'm not holding myself up as a great example, but these are things that came to my mind from my life. So here's one. When I was a junior in high school, 11th grade, I went on a mission trip to New York City. Happens to be the same week that I got to know who is now the lady who's now my wife, so that was fun. But we were there to hand out tracts, invite people to evangelistic services. And as we were going out in the park, we handed tracts to and invited a couple named Rose and Eugene. Now, we'd never met them. We didn't ever really have any contact with them after that week. But we invited them to the service, and they said they would come. And you never know whether people are going to come. But I was there with my friend Dan, and I told him, they're going to come tonight. They're going to be there. And they were. Now, is that because of what I had prayed or because of my faith? No, it's because God answered the prayer. But I was very confident, and I, I took the extra step to tell him they're going to be here tonight. And they were. They came, I think that was Tuesday night, and they came back again Friday night. And it would be great if I could tell you that they fell to their knees and repented and there was, they were saved. I hope, they were from a Catholic background, I hope that they have trusted Jesus alone for salvation. I don't know. But that one little prayer request, Lord, let them come tonight. Telling my friend, they're going to come tonight. I believe they're going to come tonight. And they did. That's what this is talking about. To say it out loud. To pray along with somebody else so that they hear you speaking those words out loud. Or to tell somebody, I'm praying that so-and-so will be saved. I'm praying that so-and-so will be open to a gospel conversation. I'm praying that my children will walk with the Lord. Tell people what you're praying about. Pray with them. Now what's this thing about mountains moving? The expression that the mountain would be removed, it's a metaphor, and it's related to a term in their language. It was called the rooter up of mountains, the rooter up of mountains, and that meant that a great rabbi or other spiritual leader could remove difficulties of interpretation. Here's this really hard text, and this person can explain it. He would be called a rooter up of mountains. This is a very difficult riddle. And this person is wise and understanding. So Old Testament, I'm thinking of Solomon. Would have been a rooter up of mountains. That's the terminology they were familiar with. So in this case, this is a metaphor for doing what is seemingly impossible. It seems like it's impossible. But God can do it. It's not hard for him. It's not impossible to him. And we've seen statements like that. Going back to Mark chapter 9 and Mark chapter 10. We have verses. We've had statements we've looked at. That all things are possible to him who believes. With God, all things are possible. Do you believe that this morning? Mm -hmm. With God, all things are possible. It goes on and says, if he does not doubt in his heart, but believes. We're talking about some conditions on this. You can't have doubt in your heart and belief at the same time. It's like oil and water. You can't mix those two together. There's either doubt in your heart or belief. And I I realize our our belief is not perfect. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying if if you don't have total and great faith that it's not worth anything. There is an element of disbelief. As a matter of fact, that same passage, chapter 9, we have the father whose son was demon possessed and he said, if you can help me, Lord, help me. If you can do anything, have mercy, have compassion on us. And Jesus said, if If I can, all things are possible. That's the verse I just read. And how did the man respond? Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. This also sounds to me like the book of James. Some of you know these verses from James 1. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Amen. I love that verse. But, so here's Here's the second part of it. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Ask in faith without doubting. That's what Jesus is saying. Have faith in God. Ask, say it out loud. And don't doubt. Second idea for today is to pray to God. I know that's so basic. You already knew that. But we need to pray to God. Verse 24, Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Now, is this saying, I have faith and I want a new Lamborghini. Is that what this is saying? Some of you are shaking your head. Some of you are just laughing. I know I probably couldn't drive a Lamborghini, but I, I couldn't afford the insurance on the Lamborghini. That's that's what it comes down to. There are some qualifications here, aren't there? It's not just the blab it and grab it crowd that whatever I want I can have. Not, it, the Bible says so. No. It's anything that's God's will. If I pray it, I will have it. That's what this is saying. Matthew 6, 10. This is from Matthew's gospel in the Lord's Prayer. It says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what he taught the crowd. That's what he was teaching his disciples in how to pray. Pray for God's will to be done. Mark 14, we haven't gotten there yet, but Jesus is in the garden. He's praying. He's asking God, And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Does that sound familiar? That with God all things are possible? That sounds familiar to me. All things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. If I'm praying within God's will, then whatever I ask is going to happen. Whatever request I have, I'm going to get. Because I'm praying according to God's will. Daniel Aiken, in his commentary this week, I appreciated this quote about what prayer is. True and believing prayer is not attempting to get God to change his will to fit our plans. It's not about bending God's will, twisting his arm to do what we want. It is a passionate pursuit to see God's plans accomplished in us, through us, that his will would be done in my heart, in your heart, and in the world around us. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That author went on to say when we pray, we trust not only in his power to give us what we ask, but also in his wisdom to give us what we need. Yes, he can, but in his wisdom, he knows whether he should. I trust him enough to have him turn, turn me down if that's what he chooses. Now, the tenses of the verb sound a little funny to us, but it says, believe that you receive. What's it saying? It's saying it's as good as done. He's telling his disciples, believe that you already have received it because you have. It's a done deal. When I was in third grade, it was 1985, I had a first-year teacher. Her name was Lynette Chevalier. And we got through the school year, and I don't think we kids knew anything was wrong, but got to the end of the school year, and all of a sudden she was going to doctors and specialists and had a liver disease that was gonna require a liver transplant, and many people, many of the doctors, did not believe she was gonna live. My parents told me about it. Here I am, a nine-year-old, just finished third grade, And they're saying, your teacher may die and trying to prepare me and get me to understand that. I said, no, she's not. (laughs) And of course, they're thinking, oh, he's gonna be so devastated. And I, God gave me faith to pray. I'm not saying that she lived, and by the way, she's still living today, doing well, however many years that is without rejection. You do the math, I don't know, a long time, 30 plus years with a liver transplant. God is good, God is faithful and has used her and her family wonderful testimony for him it's not that god did that because i believed but he asks us he tells us to ask him he encourages us to ask him to have faith that he can do it and if it's his will he's going to do it in my little nine-year-old brain in my little nine-year-old heart it was a done deal i prayed i believe god's going to heal her she's going to be fine Isn't that the kind of faith we were talking about a few weeks ago? That if anyone's going to enter the kingdom, you must come with the faith of a little child. As we get older, we have so many reasons, well, that can't work, and and the smarter we get, sometimes the dumber we get theologically and spiritually. Because now we have so many arguments in our head about why that can't happen and why that won't work. And instead, we need to believe in God, and we need to trust him to do all his holy will. Now we're coming to our third point, and this one, for me at least, stretches me the most. I think it will, probably you too. because this idea of praying the way God wants us to pray, coming to Him, believing, not doubting, saying it, speaking it, having faith to pray for these things, it requires something else. In addition to faith, it requires forgiveness. It requires forgiving. And our third point is forgive anyone for anything. You say, Bob, that is broad. Yeah, I know, it's what's in the text. It's very broad. Forgive anyone for anything. Verse 25. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. That your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. Now, some of you may be thinking, what do you mean stand praying? Why would you be standing? That was just the common way that they prayed at that point. We might sit. We might kneel. You can lie down. You can lie prostrate. There are many ways you can pray. When I was a little kid, bow your head, close your eyes, fold your hands, that kind of thing. That's fine. This was the most common way they prayed at that time. Yes, you can read in the Bible, there were times when people knelt. There were times when people fell on their faces. Those would be more of an exception the rule was standing. So in your average, everyday praying, Jesus is saying, if you're praying and you have anything against anyone, John MacArthur said, this is an all-inclusive statement that includes both sins and simple dislikes. So if someone has sinned against you, that's included here. If you just can't stand the way that person does that, that's included here. Both sins and simple dislikes, which cause the believer to hold something against another person, and anyone is broad as well, that's believers and unbelievers. Now, if that happens, what is my response supposed to be? Forgive. 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 The duty is to have a forgiving attitude. What Jesus is teaching in this passage that is required for prayer the way he wants us to pray is faith and forgiveness. It requires both. You can read other passages, and I would... Recommend to you if you haven't read Matthew 18 recently, that's your homework, that's your extra credit for today. Go home and read Matthew 18. It's about forgiveness, it's about the servant who had a debt he never ever could have repaid in a lifetime. And God, the master, forgave him. And then he went and throttled the guy who owed him a much smaller amount. Because in the scriptures, there is a connection between the forgiveness that we receive from God and the forgiveness that we offer to other people. And if I'm not offering forgiveness to other people, I do not have a right relationship with God. I cannot have a right relationship with God while I am holding something against another human being. I'm not the judge, folks. It is not my place to condemn anyone. I can share what the Bible says. It condemns our sin, right? But I'm not in the place to judge others from my own opinions. Instead, I'm supposed to forgive because I've been forgiven, I'm supposed to forgive. That's the way it's supposed to work. What are some other passages? One you should memorize if you haven't yet, Ephesians 4.32, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted." forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Do you see the connection there? Forgiving one another as Christ forgave you. Parallel passage, Colossians 3. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, that sounds like our passage here, any kind of complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also, what are the last two words there? Must do. Jesus isn't saying, if this and this and this happens, if they ask forgiveness, if you're feeling especially generous on a given day. No, we are supposed to offer forgiveness to others. Now, if you have a different translation with you, for example, a King James Version doesn't have the word him, does it? It just says Forgive. Same thing with ESV, NASB. Some of your translations say forgive him like what I just read. Some of them say forgive them. What's the point here? Well, the situation that's being described is a time of personal prayer. I'm talking to God. That other person who just came to my mind isn't there. It's not that I can make that situation right in that moment, and yet what does it command me to do? To forgive It commands me to forgive, even if I'm not there to reconcile the situation. How does that work? Well, realize there are times you can't talk to that person at all. You may have no contact information for that person. That person may have passed away. So this particular passage is not so much dealing with how to make the relationship right. It's saying forgive. So maybe the definition of this word forgive will help us a little bit. To forgive, according to Strong's Concordance, means to leave, to let go, to give up, to keep no longer. Because we think more in terms of forgiveness as a transaction. Somebody says, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And I say, yes, I will. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's the ideal, I think. But this is almost sounding more like a... A one-sided forgiveness, doesn't it? The Amplified Bible has in parentheses, "Drop the issue, let it go." That's pretty practical, isn't it? So here's the situation: I pray to God in faith, without doubting. So far, so good. Knowing that He is able to do all His holy will, if I ask it and it's according to will, I'm getting it. So far, so good. But during my prayer time, I remember that someone, somewhere, sometime has hurt me. And all of a sudden, I'm very distracted. And now I have a decision. Am I going to dwell on that situation? Or even transition my prayer to, I'm, God, would you please make that person repent? Would you please make that person Soften toward me. Would you please change that situation that's so difficult for me? I don't know about you guys. I'm talking of, about my personal experience right now. I have to assume that many of you have experienced the same thing. You're, you're making an effort. You're praying. You're, you're seeking God's will. You're seeking to follow this pattern, this process. And all of a sudden, you just can't get that out of your mind. This thing that happened maybe so long ago. What are you going to do? Are you going to think about that situation and feed on that and let that anger well back up in you? Or are you going to drop the issue, let it go? Keep it no longer. Am I going to release the situation and the person to a sovereign God? Because he can handle the situation. He can deal with that person if necessary. I can trust in him. Do you see, in my mind at least, this goes back to verse 23 about not doubting. If I'm trusting God, I can forgive. Because I can trust him to take care of that person or take care of that situation. Now some of you, I realize, are thinking, Bob, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know how he hurt me. You don't know what she said to me. You don't know how that boss or that teacher or that other person in authority, or that parent or that child, mistreated me. And you're absolutely right. I don't. In most cases, I don't know. But I can assure you that Romans 8:28 is still in the Bible. All things work together for the good of those who love God to those who are the called according to his purpose. The other day my kids were listening again. Well, I was listening. They were watching in the back of the van the, the musical Joseph from Sight and Sound. And his life is so convicting as you read it in Genesis of what he went through, betrayed by his brothers, enduring their jealousy, trapped, almost trapped, by Potiphar's wife and then unjustly accused and imprisoned for years. And what does he say at the end of his life? You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. That's an eternal perspective. That's the right perspective. That is a forgiving perspective. And I'm not saying that he was never depressed or he was never discouraged. I'm sure he was. I'm sure there were times he struggled with bitterness. But at the end of the day, he trusted God. And you know what? Whatever he was praying according to God's will, he was getting it because he had forgiven. So even though I don't know what is in your past, I know this passage makes it very clear that if I want God to hear and answer my prayers, I must forgive. Drop it. Let it go. Because what's the alternative? I must forgive because holding on to my anger and my bitterness and my unforgiveness is going to destroy me. It's not likely to help the situation or do anything to the other person, but it's going to destroy me. It's going to eat me alive. Just one more verse here. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. What are trespasses? One definition I found was departing from the path of truth and uprightness. Getting off the path. I think we could make it even simpler than that. Trespasses are intentional sin. Here's the line. I'm crossing it on purpose. It's that kind of sin. It's not, I didn't know any better. It's not I did it accidentally. I knew and I did it. Well, We've been talking about, if I don't forgive, then I shouldn't expect my prayer to be answered. Well, there's Something similar to that in the Old Testament. It's Psalm sixty-six, eighteen. 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, in other words, if I hang on to it, if I'm not willing to confess the sin that God has shown me is sin, if I'm not willing to agree with him, that's sin. I'm agreeing with you, God. It's sin. Will you forgive me? If I regard iniquity in my heart, in my heart if I hang on to it, guess what it says? The Lord will not hear. Don't expect to have your prayers answered if you're hanging on to sin in your life. Now you may have a note in your Bible. In fact, some of you, if you have a different translation, you're wondering, what are you talking about, Bob? I don't have a verse 26. A few of you have that situation, or you might have it in brackets. Why? Because some of the ancient manuscripts do not have a verse 26. Many people believe it is what a scribe inserted based on Matthew 6.51, and that's why I'm not troubled by that. Some of you may be thinking, does that mean I don't have the Bible? Does that mean we can't trust the Bible because this verse might not? No, because this verse is in Matthew six fifty one, in the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. So let's figure out what it means. If, if I refuse to forgive, it says, your Father in heaven will not forgive your trespasses. That seems pretty harsh, doesn't it? And some of you may have been taking this a little bit further. Does that mean that if, I don't, if I choose not to forgive that person, that I'm not saved? That I won't go to heaven? No, that is not what that's saying. Let me illustrate it, and then I'll try to explain it just a little bit more. If I say or do something that hurts my wife, and, and I do that, by the way, you can ask her. Not necessarily on purpose, but I do. If, if I hurt her, then there's a breach in that relationship we're not as close as we should be. We're not as close as we ought to be. Not even as close as we want to be. But until that situation is resolved, there's a distance, a separation there, a roadblock until we make that right. That's what this is saying. That if I'm not willing to forgive my brother, it's not that I'm not saved. We're still married, right? It's not that I sinned against her, marriage is gone, it's off it's annulled. No. In the same way, if I refuse to forgive, it's not that I've lost my salvation. But if days and months and years are going by and I haven't forgiven somebody for something, I better check my heart and make sure that I'm depending on God and I have an understanding of his grace and mercy and what salvation really is. Because forgiven people will forgive other people. That's how it works. I've received forgiveness of my sin from God I'm not going to hold something against you. And when I forgive others, God's going to answer my prayers. When I forgive others, I know that God is forgiving me. And the way I see that, it's not the same as justification. He declares us righteous because of Christ and his perfect sinless life. I'm saved based on that. But my relationship with God, my closeness to God, this says is directly related to whether I'm forgiving other people. So you may be thinking, I feel far from God. I don't feel like he's answering my prayers. Have you been asking yourself, based on this passage, am I putting my faith in God? Am I asking him? Am I doubting? Am I forgiving? These are the questions you should be asking if you feel, my relationship with God just isn't where it used to be. My prayers aren't being answered. I feel like my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. I'm not saying this is the only reason you may feel that way. And that feeling isn't what you can base your whole life on either. But it may be an indication of something being wrong. Maybe a dashboard light that's saying, hey, hang on. Take warning. What are our three words? you have them in your head? Believe, pray, forgive. Believe in God, pray to God, and forgive anyone for anything. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? There could be somebody here in the room today. There could be somebody joining us online. You've never put your faith in Jesus. That's my question for you today. Do you have faith in God? Because He alone can save. He alone can forgive. And you can call out to Him for mercy. He will save you right now. Most of you in the room, I know your testimony. I know you're believers in Jesus. Are you praying? Are you praying in faith? Or are you doubting? Are you forgiving others? Or are you holding a grudge? There very well may be people in this room who need to decide right now in your heart, you're going to forgive somebody. Now the Holy Spirit may prompt you, you may need to contact somebody momentarily. You may need to go to somebody else in this room and make a relationship right but it starts in your heart right now by choosing to forgive, by choosing to let go. And if the Holy Spirit is prompting you, not just a general sense of guilt about this, but there is a specific situation, you know this is what God brought to your mind today. Obey. Forgive. Our Father, Your word is so practical, it is so clear, it is so good for us. Please continue to let it do its work in us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.